are y'all doing this morning? Good. Isn't it good to be in God's house? I told the church I was at one time that my dream in life was to retire an old, surly, cranky Baptist preacher. And one of my elders shouted from the congregation, says, then all you got to do is get a little older. And uh, uh, he was asked to step down. No, I'm kidding. Um, it's such an honor and I guess a privilege is what I really want to communicate to you this morning, to open God's word um, and to share. But there's also a... What's, I don't even know the word. It's, it, there's a seriousness to it. Um, there's a weight to it. If you've ever caught a Sunday school class, you realize that you don't really ever start to learn a lot until you try to teach it to someone else. Um, uh, you know, I used to tell my students in the classroom, until you can tell someone else what you're learning, you haven't learned it. And one of the things I guess I want to really kind of emphasize this morning um, is to continue just talking and speaking about what this theme is that we're caught up in called the church, called the kingdom of God. And then I want to paint some, we've been painting some broad strokes, um, and I want to dial that down a little bit. Um, the First Baptist Church of Fruitvale, Texas is in a, um, a unique situation. Some of you, it's in, you're in this situation for the first time, or maybe it's the first time in a long time. And you're looking for leadership, and you're in a, a pastoral search pattern. And there's some things. We've been talking about what the church is, and this morning, I'm going to dial that in, and then we're going to talk about what the leadership looks like according to the Word of God within this thing that we call the church. And, and I hope to be able to expand maybe uh, some of your thinking a little bit and just let the text do it. And, if you've got your Bible this morning, and you want to mark your place and follow on, most of the scriptures I'll be using this morning will be on the screen. But I'm going to share a few with you. If you're wanting to follow along in your actual paper Bible or on your phone or point your device or whatever you do these days, uh, we're going to be spending a lot of time in Acts and uh, in First uh, Timothy. But before I jump into there, you might be this morning thinking, why... For someone who's just kind of here for a short time, why are we spending this time talking about the church? Why would we spend this time to talk about what does the word say about what we're supposed to do? I have this saying that I use a lot, and bear with me until I explain it. But I am of a firm belief, as I have been a pastor for 25 plus years, I've been in church all my life, that the last thing many American Christians need is another Bible study. And the reason I say that is because for many of us, it's kind of pointless to learn even more about this Jesus that we're already not following. Are you, are you with me? And so when we encounter something in the inspired, inerrant, infallible, precious Word of God that is breathed out by the Holy Spirit of God, and we don't obey it, then we find ourselves in opposition to the creator God of the universe. And according to the book of James, a faith without works, a, a faith that is not obedient is really not even faith at all. And so the act of obedience 
to the word of God is the ultimate sacrifice to God. He says, I don't want your goats and your bulls and your calves. He says, I want you and I want your obedience. And so in Ephesians chapter four, we see if you wanted to turn there with me, I just realized I didn't bring my reading glasses. Y'all ever have those? I may have to get Brandon to what power are those? Oh, my stars. I can't. Wait, you need to go to the doctor, bro. <laughs> Brother needs some LASIK surgery. Okay. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible tells us that he, the one who descended, talking about Jesus, he also ascended. It means he went up. And when he did that, it says he gave some gifts. We just got through with Christmas. Um, am I the only one that ate something I should not have? Am I, am I it? My mother makes this four-layer pudding dessert. Oh, I starve. And you're supposed to have a little, a little wedge of it. But on Christmas, you get to have that big, big wedge of it. Nobody says anything because they had one too. It's a gift. I mean, and I love it because my mother always keeps it in the refrigerator until all the kids have gone through the dessert line and they forget about it. But we who've been around a while know that it's there. And so we sneak that out at the end, and after they've gotten their one dessert they're allowed to have, then we get the pudding dessert, right? It's a gift. We like gifts, don't we? We like to get them. We like to give them. My, my wife loves to give gifts. She's the hardest person in the world to buy gifts for. Y'all got any of those around your house that, that that's just hard? And, you, and, and now she'll tell you that's not true. Oh, I'm so easy. There's so many things. And, uh, and I'm just like, I don't know what to buy, but I love to get them, and I love to give them. But in Ephesians 4, when he left, it says he gave us some gifts, and it says he gave us some apostles, he gave us some pastor, or some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So there's, there's four specific things in Ephesians 4 that when Jesus ascended and the Spirit came, that, were, that he gave us. And he gave us these apostles, these uh, prophets, these evangelists, and these, these pastors and teachers. And they had one job. Have you ever had one job and you missed it? You ever told your kids, I want you to take out the trash. And then you come by 10 minutes later and the trash is still there. You had one job. And they didn't do it. Are y'all with me? Okay, all right. Interact. Okay, I need to know you're with me or we'll just have, we'll be here till 2 o'clock if I don't think you're with me, Okay. Y'all can talk back. You can raise your hand and ask questions, whatever you got, okay? And so we've got one job as an elder, teacher, pastor, evangelist, leader in the church. One, one job, and that job, according to Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. Now, we've been painting this picture of how the body of Christ, the church, the kingdom, as we like to refer to it as, is bigger than us, bigger than me, bigger than you, bigger than this town. It's, it's, it's everywhere. It is the eternal reign of God for time past, future, eternity, outside of time. It is this reign of God that we're caught up in. And within our little box of it, our little corner of the kingdom of God, the church and the, within that, there's a local manifestation of that, which is where we're at today. He gave us these things so that the saints of God can be equipped not to just receive a blessing, but to go and do work. You understand that? I say it like this. 
for far too long, church, and, and especially in the American church, we've been so content to come, sit, get, and go full instead of coming, filling, and giving it out. The, Jesus did not save us to just absorb. Teenagers, God saved you, you, to do the work of the ministry. I remember growing up, and I, I thought, man, I can't really do anything for the church until I'm at least in my 20s. You know? And then as I started, I took my first church when I was 19 years old. I was a senior pastor of a little church. The youngest member of my congregation was 62, I think. He was our youth group. All right? He was, he was spry for 62. And uh, he actually was our youth leader. And he would go out and bring people in. They weren't members, but he would bring them in on a church van, and he would minister to them because he was the youngest one of the bunch. I kid you not. That's how he got the job. And I remember at 19 thinking there's no way I can ever minister to these people because I'm thinking in my head I can't. But the weird thing was is that God used us at that early age to do some things, and then God used them more than that to teach us. Because part of the great thing about working in the kingdom of God is it's not just about what you can do, but it's about what God can do through the circumstance to make you into a better reflection of himself. And the disciples, guys, if I were to be looking at the disciples as a group, they would look more like this than like this. Y'all understand that? That Jesus took a bunch of people like this. Some of y'all went, oh, no, we're in trouble. No, they took you guys and changed the world. Literally changed the world. And so you want to talk about the weight and the mantle of exercising the gift of equipping the saints for the ministry. Who's going to take care of our elderly? We're going to talk about that in a minute. Who's going to take care of the spiritual formation of our young folks coming up or of our newly converted older folks? Because just because somebody's up in years doesn't mean that they're up in maturity. Is that right? I mean, some, some of us have been around church a long time, and we know people that have also been around church a long time. And they're not spiritually mature, and it's sad. Some of it's our own fault. And some of it's the system that we're in. And some of it's just broken humanity. We're just busted. And so I want to take you to another verse that's been a staple of mine. Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. Since this verse became a part of my vocabulary, I'm not sure that I've preached a sermon, taught a lesson, written an article, written a blog, written a book, that this term, does, this verse doesn't come up. Now I'm going to give you a verse, and out of the, the context of the verse is a very negative story. Y'all ever hear, y'all ever see a coffee cup with a good verse on it, and then you go read the chapter the verse is in, and you're like, that's not what that, calls, that verse is talking about at all. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to prosper you. That's a great verse. Baby got it on their shirts. Go read the whole story sometime. That's a terrifying verse. Yes, there's going to be restoration, but to get to that part of that verse, you got to go through some stuff. All right? And that's kind of the context of 2 Chronicles 16 because Hananiah the seer, he's called in the, in the Christian Standard Version, is rebuking King Asa. But look what he says in verse 9, if you got your Bible. I don't have a slide for this one. For the eyes of the Lord... Roam throughout the earth. Can we stop right there? Y'all understand what's happening? 
Raise your hand if you've seen Lord of the Rings. Oh, man. All my Lord of the Rings references are only going to fall on half of you. Okay. There's a character in the Lord of the Rings saga trilogy, and they call him the all-seeing eye. And he sees everything. Well, he don't see anything compared to what God sees. Okay? So I don't care what you call that character in that book and in that fictional story. This says the literal eyes of the Lord are searching throughout the whole earth. It kind of gets conspicuous a little bit when you think about the eyes of the Lord are looking all the time. But what's he looking for? Look in the text. Throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. Another translation says to give full support. For who? Let's look. For those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. Another translation says for those whose hearts are perfect towards him. And here's, this is one of the most freeing verses that ever came into my walk as a believer or as an elder pastor teacher. Because here's the deal. Guys, y'all look right at me right here. I'm going to tell you this real quick. You're going to screw it up bad. There you go. You're going to. Guys, I want y'all to look right at me. You're going to screw it up. It's going to happen. If it hasn't happened yet, it will. Okay? We know what this verse tells me? That's okay. Because his eyes are searching throughout the whole earth for somebody whose heart is fully devoted to him. It doesn't say he's looking for people who get it all right all the time. He's looking for people whose hearts are fully devoted to him so that he can give them strong support. Do you want God to give you strong support? I want God to give me strong support. So instead of focusing all the time on getting all the I's dotted and the T's crossed, which is my fleshly way of doing things. That's what I, that's my bend. I want it all to be done, done right. And, but what I'm learning is, is that that's kind of putting the cart before the horse is what he's really interested in is where's your heart? And so what that did to me in my ministry was it allowed me to take young people whose hearts were growing and developing in, in devotion to God, give them a ministry path, turn them loose, and let them go. Because they don't need my support nearly as much as they need his support, and his eyes are looking for that devoted heart so that he can do just that. Does that make sense? And so it frees us up to let the Holy Spirit be God because we make lousy gods. We make terrible gods. We tried that once in the garden, if you, wrote, if you remember the story. Oh, if you eat this, you'll surely die. And Satan said, not really. Oh, no. He's just afraid you're going to be like him. It's just that first little lie. And so we begin to exalt ourselves over time and space and history. This is the longest introduction I've ever preached here. But I said all this to say, I want to communicate my purpose to you. My purpose is to paint a tapestry of this thing that we're caught up in that happens to exist in this one little spot, but that is so far greater according to the text. 
and to encourage you that if we can work on our heart to get it fully devoted to God, then he wants to support us in what we're doing. Can I tell you where I make the mistakes? My mistake for the first at least half of my ministry, bear me out with this, was that my heart was fully devoted to to my church and not his kingdom. It was fully devoted to my kingdom, not his kingdom. And so what happened in that was I don't get his full support. I might get some of his blessing. He might, because he, if I can understand that the spirit can lead people into ministry and it's okay, do you think God can understand that too? And he was so patient with me. So patient with me. I look back at some of my sermons from my first couple of years as a pastor. Again, I was 19, 20, 21 years old, newly married, first kid on the way. Some of that was terrible. I mean, it, was, it wasn't just bad delivery. It was bad theology. I just didn't know any better. I was just regurgitating some stuff that I had heard. But you want to know one of the biggest gifts that God ever gave me? He took me to this little town called Stamford, Texas. I, has anybody ever heard of Stamford, Texas? One, two, three, four. Wow. This is like the most ever. Um, okay, this is true. We kind of have this thing going with other small towns. There's nobody there, by the way. The, 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 the squares boarded up. I drove into this town, and I was like, oh, deliver me. What in the world? I walk into my first Sunday at the church, and my youth group is 62 to 70. Spry as they are, that's just not the same. 19 years old, and I just preached my guts out. But the biggest gift that he gave me was... I didn't have anybody to support me. My wife and I, I I went to the ministerial council. Y'all familiar with that? Pastors go to these things called ministerial councils. I only went one time because we spent an hour and a half with everybody griping about their deacons. And I said, I'm not here for that. I ain't got time for that. I don't care how many people you had, and I don't care how mean your deacons are. Y'all help me. I was there to get help. I was 19. And so all I did for an entire year, I had, I had just a few books in my, I had a Bible, an old King James Bible. I had a, a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, and I had the Vine's Expository Dictionary of Old and New Testament Words. If you don't have access to those two books other than the Bible, you need to get access to them. They're on your phone, and they're free, I'll show you. And so all I did was study, and but something happened. When I got into his text, and I started seeing what the word actually said, I realized that some of the stuff I believed wasn't in there. And it terrified me. Have you ever come across a truth in the text, and it went against what you thought you knew? There's an old saying that says, it's it's not what you don't know that gets you, it's what you think you know that ain't so. Y'all understand? And so as I began to unpack his word, because that was all I had, nobody was helping me except the Holy Spirit of God. And you know what I learned? I didn't need them either. Now, it was great when I got these people around me to help me. But really what he taught me was, he says, if I've got a job for you to do, I've given the gifts, those four things, they'll equip you. And the Holy Spirit, we learned this a couple weeks ago, will guide you into all truth, even the deep things of God. 
And he began to do that and to work in my heart. And I praise him that as I began to get those roots down and those seeds began to grow, he did bring some other men into my life that began to take those seeds and water them as Paul planted and Apollos watered. And and, and we began to do that and, and it began to build into the bumbling idiot that I am today. But I say all that to say this. It is incredibly important. I can't stress it enough. Through the power of the Holy Spirit to know how to handle this book. I encounter people in churches all the time that say, well, I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I'm not a deacon. I'm not an elder. I'm not one of the leaders. And so I'm just going to let them do all of that deep work. And I want to challenge you today that that is absolutely not the will of God for your life. The will of God for your life is to learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. Well, wait a minute. That's in that list of stuff that he's telling to a pastor. That's exactly right. I want to encourage you to be a Berean and check everything that you hear that comes out of this thing by this thing. Let the Holy Spirit take witness to that so that you can tell when crazy stuff gets said, right? Are you all with me? You ever heard somebody preach something that was really crazy? And you're like, I'm not so sure about that. Sometimes it's the craziest stuff that's actually true. And sometimes it's not. What's your point? Today, the whole thing I kind of want to share with you this morning is simply about leadership. There's a couple of things I want you to walk away from today with today. Number one, leaders within the church are a blessing and a gift from God. They are. They carry, the Bible would say, double honor. Especially, it says, those who are laboring in the preaching and the teaching of the word. And part of that's because it's hard. It's just hard. Not like hard digging a ditch hard, but hard like when you be able, when the word begins to get in you, it begins to change you, and you begin to see things around you, then you begin to have compassion for people. And you start carrying burdens for people. Because that's what the word will do. It'll make you like Jesus who love people. Can I say something here to you real quick, just out of the bottom of my soul? If you don't love people, you're in bad shape. Because you don't, you're not feeling the things that Jesus felt. You gotta love people. And that's what this book will do, is it'll make you love people. First, I'm, this is my first verse, because I actually have a slide for today. In Hebrews chapter 13, and verse 17, the Bible says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that you can do this with joy, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Guys, let me share the the grief that I feel as a pastor. Some of the deepest, darkest times of my life have been trying to please people that can't be pleased. Because I was short-sighted. Because I forgot that I was pleasing him. But I love this text, and it has been informative to me as I have transitioned out of the senior pastor role in this season of my ministry and more into a uh, going and doing and teaching and training part of the ministry. Obey the leaders, your leaders, and submit to them. Can I be real and honest with you? I know this is on Facebook, and that's fine. It'll be videoed forever. 
that's hard for me. When you've been in leadership and now you find yourself not in that role, it's really hard to be obedient to the scriptures and submit yourself to other leaders. But remember what I said, if we're not willing to obey the text, why are we reading it? And so it's been an act of discipline for me personally to make this, to take those thoughts captive and intentionally submit myself to the leadership. And here's the deal. Because of 2 Chronicles 16.9, even if they're not getting it just right according to my thought processes, it doesn't mean that they're not okay if their heart is perfect towards the Lord. They're going to do it different than you do. Guys, if you're married, do you have different ideas about how things should be done than your spouse? I mean, if you're smart, you won't say it out loud, but I know, just, just wink at me if it's true. Well, okay? We're remodeling our house right now on the inside. And my wife, young man, let me help you here. Let me just let me give you a nugget. Let me repeat after me. Whatever you want to do, dear. No, I'm serious. Say, whatever, there you go. He's, he's setting an example. But she asked me, do you like this color or that color? That, and, and then she'll get mad at me because I said, whatever you want. I want you to have an opinion. I'll say, for all I like that one. Oh, that's terrible. It's hideous. <laughs> that's why I didn't pick it. But just because she thinks it's different, doesn't mean that she's wrong. And in matters of our house, hear me, I really don't care. And it's not that I don't care about the place that we live. I just know my opinion means less to me than her opinion means to me because we've taken a posture of self-denial of dying to self and I want my bride to be happy. Her happiness supersedes what I want. Just the same as God said, submit yourself to the leaders that are over you. I want God's full support because my heart is perfect towards him in obedience to his word. I want that full support. And if they screw it up, guess what? He will fix it. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have opinions and we don't have discussions and all that kind of thing. I'm just saying, and maybe I would even say this, particularly in spiritual matters. Because those are the ones that really matter. But look what the verse says. The reason we do that, since they, or I would even say because they, keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Here's the deal. God-given, God-called leadership within a body carries the mantle of standing before God for your soul. Maybe I would say it more specifically in how they have shepherded your soul. That's a weight. I, it's, a, it's one you have to gladly carry if you're in that position. But I would submit to you even if that, that goes down to if you're teaching a Sunday school class. You are in a position of leadership over your tiny subflock. And he says, you keep watch over their souls. That means you're praying for them. That means that you care about 
them and if they're going off the radar if they're going off the reservation you just don't be like well i can't believe they did that no you go after them because you love them and then he says so that they can do this or yeah so that they can do this without joy not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you have y'all ever worked somewhere where the boss was mad all the time anybody some of you are like yeah was that a joyful time did you appreciate that no can you do anything right in that environment no if you don't believe me guys that are married do something intent just do something you know is gonna make your wife upset and then try to keep doing stuff see what happens because once it's out of, once it's done you're done you just better just quit go ahead and just yes sir and that goes the other direction too because when i get mad nothing's right right this text says obey your leaders submit to them because here's the deal if they're in that position, and, I, and I'm saying this because I've met with y'all's, y'all's leaders, and guys, they got some of the most beautiful hearts that I've seen in a long time. They love you so much. They are so proud of you. They, they are tickled pink. They may not even always know how to articulate it. I don't know. But these guys love you more than you, as much as you think they love you, they love you ten times more than you think they do, I promise you. And because of that, that's why the verse says, trust them. You know why we trust them? Because we trust him. I trust God. Because hearts are perfect. Now, in this passage, one of the things it does for us, and I was told last week not to watch my watch, but I'm going to try. There is a structure that has to be done. And because you're in this transitionary period, I want to encourage the body of Christ, not just the leadership, because ultimately, guys, as a church, y'all are going to have a voice, right? The heart of the person that will lead into the next season must be completely devoted to the Lord. Must be. Because you want that person to have the full and strong support of the creator God of the universe. We've been talking about how this this thing is bigger than we are, and it is extremely important that this person not just have a good resume, but that this person understand the kingdom of God. If you go to your Bible in Acts chapter 4 and verse 5, there's this thing that we, there's two words. This is what, if you're a note taker, get something to write with, something to write on. I always tell you, if you're a note taker, there are two words in the text that we see translated as elder. The first one, and I'll, I'll spell it for if you want me to, it's called presbyteros. Sounds familiar like the word, y'all heard the word presbyterian? That's the root word of that would be, in, in this, the Greek would be presbyteros. And it identifies someone who is older as a Christian. I put in my notes, or mature. Sometimes it is used to reference somebody who's actually physically older. But it also is used for somebody who's older in the faith. In Acts 4 and verse 5, it says, On the next day, their rulers and elders, presbyteros, and experts in the law came together in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, I'm just going to share some of these with you quickly to to, to prove the point here. Um, It says, When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That word elders is that presbyteros. It's that mature one. And you notice that they were appointed in every church. 
And then it says that they prayed and they fasted. I have a challenge for you, church, this morning. Don't answer this out loud. I want you to answer this in your spirit. And I want you to be truthful because God's watching your heart. How many minutes, times, hours have you, congregation member, spent in prayer about who the presbyteros will be? Who the elder, pastor, teacher, the gift from God for this church will be? I know your, your deacons have been. We prayed about it together. I know I'm asking you, because here's my thing. If you haven't been, if in your heart you're like, well, I prayed about it a couple of times, I'm asking you to get fervent. Beg God for the Holy Spirit to teach you into all things, into the deep knowledge of God, to show you, not by, not by resume, not by checklist, but by a witness of the Holy Spirit of God that he's moving in that spot. Because you can have a great resume and not be able to follow the Holy Spirit out of a paper bag. Right? But you may be in tune with the Holy Spirit of God and have a, whole, a heart that is perfect towards Him and have the full support of the Creator God of the universe and have an awful resume. They're not always equal. They're not always separate. You can't tell. I interviewed for a job one time. I was an assistant counselor at a, uh, a drug rehab for adolescent youth. And the medical director spot came open. I literally had an associate's degree in like fine arts or something. You had to have a master's level social work with like 10 or 15 years of experience. <laughs> Guess who put their name on the list? I applied for that job and I got an interview. And I walked in and this guy, he said, why are you interviewing for this job? You don't have the credentials to have it. And I was like, you're right, but I'd like to find out what those credentials are. Tell me what I would need to do to be you. And we had a, it was the best interview I ever had. I didn't get a job, but I learned a lot. And I could actually, honestly, I could probably do his job as well as he could. He wasn't very smart. But sometimes you just need to get into the mix to learn how the mix goes. And I want to encourage you to get in the mix. The Bible says in Acts chapter 15 and verse 2 through verse 6, when Paul and Barnabas had a major argument, which, by the way, is a whole other sermon. I say that a lot, don't I? Um, that's a whole other sermon, but just because God's moving in a place doesn't mean that everybody always gets along. Have y'all noticed that? Everybody thinks that, oh, everybody loves everybody. The church is growing and everybody loves. That means God is moving. I want to tell you when the Holy Spirit starts moving, people are going to get cranky with one another. It just happens. And it's been my experience that when God's really doing a work in people's lives, it makes us so uncomfortable. Sometimes we'll find ourselves at odds with people. And it's a great opportunity to walk through what Matthew tells us in chapters 5, 6, and 7 on how to deal with people. Right? Well, they hate me. Oh, I had a guy tell me that. I just can't deal with them. They hate me. And I said, really? Do you think he's your enemy? And they're like, absolutely. He hates my guts. And I said, well, that's good because the Bible teaches us how to deal with our enemies. Have you loved him, prayed for him, done something kind for him lately? Well, uh, yeah, try that, and then we'll get back together. He says, when Paul and Barnabas had a major argument and debate with them, 
The church appointed Paul and Barnabas and some others from among them to go up to meet the apostles and the elders, the presbyteros in Jerusalem, about this point of disagreement. We saw this if you're following our study in Acts on Wednesday night. When Cornelius received the Spirit, what did Peter have to do? He had to go back to the Jerusalem council where the presbyteros, the elders, the leaders were seated so they could discuss whether or not God could do what he did already. Verse 3 says, So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they were relating at length the conversion of the Gentiles and bringing great joy to all the brothers. I want to do a stop here for just a second, and I just want to tell you the reason that, that my brother Tim is with me and we're here is because it thrills our soul down to our socks to encourage the brethren and just encourage you and to be a servant to you and to help you in any way that we can. The reason my brother Patrick is here, uh, came this morning, to he's a, a leader of our small group, is because he loves to encourage the brethren wherever he goes. And that's what they were doing. There was this huge debate. There were all these problems. The church sent them out. And along the way to their destination, it said they were just telling everybody how the Gentiles were getting saved. And it encouraged the brethren to tell about what God was doing. Verse 4. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, the presbyterians, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. Verse 5, but some of, from the religious party of the Pharisees who had believed stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise the Gentiles in order for them to observe the law of Moses. And then both the apostles and the elders met together to deliberate about this matter. So let me paint this picture for you. Gentiles were getting saved. Up to this point, the, only the Jews got saved. The Jews were circumcised. The Gentiles were not. And it says that those of the religious party of the Pharisees, in other words, they were orthodox, hardline Jews. But it says they had believed. So they were Christians. They stood up and said, in order for these Gentiles to really be saved, they've got to be just like us. And you'll find out later in that passage that word came back, no, they don't. No, they don't. As a matter of fact, they said, leave them alone. Let them stay uncircumcised. Because what's important is not what's on the outside, but it's what's on the inside, because it's the heart that's perfect towards the Lord that God wants to support, not the outward action. Although the outward action grows out of that heart and it seems to come as a package deal, he's like, you may mess up all the outside stuff. What I'm interested in is your heart, because even those religious Pharisees that have now believed in Jesus, I believe that they were believers. They were in the kingdom. God was looking for them as well. They were just at that moment so focused on the outside stuff. They were so focused on the check boxes, so focused on what man thought, they forgot to listen to what God thought. And I want to encourage you to get your heart in tune with the Holy Spirit more than you do with what you think should be done. Does that make sense? Because the Holy Spirit knows the deep truths of God. We don't. Unless and until he reveals it to us through his word, his spirit, and the people around us. Acts 15, 22, the Bible says, Then the apostles and the elders, the presbyteros, and the whole church decided to send men chosen from among them. This is later in the chapter. Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leaders among the brethren, to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. 
And so what we learn from this is that elders actually held a position of decision-making regarding spiritual matters and doctrine. In most of our churches, um, we, and I don't know, I don't know how, how you guys view it, honestly, but I want to say this. Um, your de- the deacons here, guys, I want to tell you, you shepherd well. I want to encourage you this morning because I think you're shepherding well. And you want to you know how I know that? Because this has been a really difficult season. Y'all noticed? <laughs> uh, I mean, not only are we in a pandemic, but a, a, a tenured pastor moves on to another ministry in the middle of it. And can I just say, this church is still thriving. We right. talked about that on the way this morning. You guys are all right. And it's not that you're just surviving. You're doing well. The spirit, the first day I walked in here, I know told my wife when I got home, I said, man, there was such a sweet spirit in there. And that's a testimony and a testament to the fact that you're being shepherded well. You see, they may carry the title of the, oh, why can I do that? Sometimes I have to ask God if I can say what I want to say. They may carry the title of deacon, which means one thing, but I'm going to tell you what, they're leading like elders. I don't care what you call it. Because the really only big difference is is that a deacon is not required to teach. An elder is required to handle this book at some level. Maybe not from up here. It may be sitting at a coffee table. It may be sitting at your couch. on your. But he's got to handle the word and teach and grow people up into maturity. It's a requirement. And if you can't do that, you're in the wrong seat. Okay? And then according to the text over in Acts chapter 6, the reason that deacons even existed in the first place is because the elders who were worried about the spiritual maturity and praying and preaching couldn't take care of the Grecian widows. And so they said, go get us some dudes that can do that so we can do the big stuff. And then they went out and did that, and they got them off some people, and all the ladies got taken care of. But what we have now, and it's, it's just... And it, it's not wrong, it's just, it's just what we do. Now we've got these labels on what we have. We don't all call them the same thing, but functionally, these guys are shepherding you, and they have oversight. The, Bible, the, the next word that we're going to talk about is episkopos. It literally means to have oversight over. I told the elders of our church, uh, sometimes I go to them and I have an idea, I want to do stuff, and sometimes they like it, sometimes they don't. And, uh, but why do you take it to them? Because they are overseers and shepherds of my soul. Whether they've been doing it a month, a year, five years, and I've been doing it 25 years, doesn't matter. They are the shepherds of my soul. And I take that very seriously because I want them to take that very seriously too. But we see in this text that that's what happened. That's why they must be men of good report. They must be filled with the, the, the Holy Spirit of God, learned men in the things of God that know how to study and are willing to study because ultimately as they provide direction, they need to do it by the Holy Spirit of God in this book. That's what matters. And as a church, I am uber passionate that every member of the church of Christ, the church of God, the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, should know how to study this book. It's not just their job. Now remember, Ephesians 4 says God gave us gifts as pastors and teachers to help us learn these things. But 2 Timothy 2.2, which is our flagship verse, says what you've learned from these, he said you commit those to faithful men so that they can teach others also. That's how this thing goes. 
when you learn it, you teach it to somebody else, and then you repeat that process over and over and over again until Jesus comes. That's what we do. That's the church. And so it's important to understand. I'm going to speak to the next couple of these. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 30, the Bible says, And they did so, sending their financial aid to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Acts 4.35. And it said that placing them at the apostles' feet, the proceeds were distributed to each as anyone had need. Do you realize that in the book of Acts, in the first century church, that when there was a financial need and money came in, guess who decided where it went? The elders. That's who decided it. Guess what? I bet they didn't do it right all the time. I bet they didn't. Because if I was involved in that, guess what? I wouldn't do it right all the time. I promise you. Uh, matter of fact, can I give you a personal story? As a senior pastor a few years ago, um, I have this flaw that I'll just give it all away. I mean, I'll write checks. Somebody says, I need, oh, here, just do it. Well, but the problem with that is you can't always pay the bills when you're like that. And so my elders had to come in and say, hey, brother, we love you. you you're not in charge of benevolence anymore. <laughs> it happened. One of them stepped up and they said, if you, because what, if you've been in church, usually your pastor will get this call, but you guys have maybe someone else has been, I need help. I need my light bill needs to get paid. I don't have any food, any number of stories. And I would just be like, how much do you need? Oh, we have that. Okay. You know, and, and that's just my heart. That's, I'm not trying to puff myself up. That's just how I am. The problem with that is that's not always good stewardship for what you have to, to have over either. I mean, I can't just give everybody my own money and not pay my mortgage. Right? And so they had to come in. And you know what? As shepherds of my soul even as well, it was good. And I just said, you know what? I will gladly turn that over. Y'all go handle that for me. And so when people would call, because they would catch me all the time, because my name was on the sign, or not on the sign, on the website, I need this. I said, you know what? I got a guy for you to call. You call Craig, and he'll, 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 and I never thought about it again. Oh, it was so wonderful. I don't know if they got it, what they needed or not. I, to this day, I have no idea. But I just got out of that, because I trusted them to follow God's leading to do what needed to be done. I didn't need to have a say, because God has a say. Okay? And when I reached into my pocket and gave, I really did that. And I said, it's not mine anymore. There was no little string tied to it. I was just like, you know what? And if y'all screw that up, that's between you and the Lord. He owns the cattle on a thousand hill. He got money from a fish's mouth one time. He doesn't need my piddly two bits. What he needs is my heart. My heart. And he wants your heart. And according to 2 Chronicles 16 and 9, as long as that is fully uh, devoted to the Lord, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that he can take bad situations and make them good, can't he? Can't he? I'm so glad that he draws straight lines with crooked sticks because if he didn't, we would all have crooked lines because every one of us is a crooked stick. But Jesus came. We read that verse in our time a little bit ago as a church. Not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, our heart, our soul into the very image of God. And as we do that, all the stuff that surrounds all the things that we think are important began to just melt away. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 17, the Bible says, Elders who provide effective leadership must be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard in speaking and teaching. 
I want to encourage you also. Elders are not dictators. Deacons are not dictators. Pastors are not dictators. They're not. But it says those who lead well. If they're leading well, give them the honor for that. And I just want to encourage you because, gosh, y'all got some great, great leaders right now. And then that, that, I would even say that expands to your leadership team. I don't even know who all's on it. Um, but I've just been watching things happen from a distance. And I just want to give you encouragement. I want you to feel the honor that I feel for you. Because I think that you are absolutely walking in the spirit of God. And I'm so proud of you for that. And I'm nobody. That means nothing to you. But at least you've heard it once, right? In 1 Peter, the Bible says in chapter 5, he says, So as your fellow elder, and as a witness of Christ's sufferings, and as one who shares in the glory that will be revealed, I urge the elders among you. Here's the deal. I'm going to close with it. I'm not done. But I'm going to make a mark right here. And we'll come back. He says in verse 2, give a shepherd's care to God's flock among you. Give a shepherd's care. You know what a shepherd does? He cares. He loves his sheep. And I just want to tell you, your shepherds love you. Oh, your shepherds love you. And they are concerned about you and your soul and your well-being. And that should make you feel safe and comfortable and warm and fuzzy and all of those things that are good words. I'll put in all the good words. Because they love you. That doesn't mean they always agree with you. But they love you. Then it says, I urge you not only to have a shepherd's care of God's flock, but to exercise oversight, not merely as a duty, but willingly under God's direction, not for shameful profit, but eagerly. I would encourage you deacons that are here this morning, you, that are, you leaders of the church, if you ever get to the point that you feel like you have to do it and it's duty and you don't have the heart for it anymore, it's time to step down for a little while. Because the Bible says, remember, there's no reason to read the text if we're not willing to obey it and let it get into us and make us different. And he says, if you don't have a heart for it, you're in the wrong seat. It doesn't mean you can't come back to the seat when God fixes that heart. But it's not a duty. Man, if it's crushing you and you just feel the weight of it, then it's time to go, I need a break. And you know what? That's okay. I've gone to my elders before and said, I need to take some Sundays off. I need a break because you guys are killing me. And you know what they did? They let somebody else preach for a while. Oh, it was a good time. I just needed a break. Because I don't want to be in a spirit of duty. I want to be in a spirit of joy. Remember that first verse? I want to be in a spirit of love and service, dying to self for others, just like Jesus did. And then he says in verse 3, And do not lord it over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. That's why I titled today's message, Leading Servants. Here's how I characterize the difference between elders and deacons. Deacons are servant leaders. They serve first, lead second. Go study Stephen. And he even did miracles and stuff, so it's not like they can't preach and handle the word. But according to the text, an elder is a leading servant. They lead first as they serve. Does that make sense? It's a, it's a, it's a teeny tiny twist of the semantics. It's someone who serves and then leads because of their service. And then someone who actually leads through their service as they serve in the word and in the spiritual direction. They visit the sick according. James chapter 5. Is anyone sick among you? Is anyone ill? He says he should summon the elders of the church and they should pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. We call that creatively or, or affectionately getting James 5. 
If you're sick, you want to be obedient to the word, what does it say to do? Call the elders of the church. And you have them anointed with oil, you pray over them. And there's somebody, somebody's going, that just sounds weird. It, it kind of does. Let me tell you a little story and I'll close. The Martinsville Baptist Church years ago, and it's a Baptist church. And if I've already told you all this story, just somebody will write me and say, we already know this story. Because I do that. I repeat stories real bad. And this lady, and I probably have told you this, but she came up and she wanted to be James Sines, and we did it. I didn't have anything in this church but Crisco vegetable oil. I went and got it. That's all I had. I didn't have any of this fancy stuff. Um, you know, it smelled good. It smelled like fried chicken. And uh, she said, I want you to James five me because the book says it. And she was right, brother. I put a little, and I was like, I was like, I mean, how, how are you supposed to, supposed to pour it on there? I mean, do we, I mean, what do we, what do we do? Do we need to, do we need to put some plastic down? How's this work? Because I've never done this before. And I mean, I just, I was like, I don't know, but Lord, this wasn't, so, so we, we rubbed a little on her forehead, you know, and I, I, I didn't know right or not but second chronicles 16 9 says i didn't have to get it just right amen and we did that and she had a tumor a cancerous tumor and uh it was on a friday they got it on the mri and we prayed over it. and i invited the elders to come down and we we laid hands on her and then i invited everybody because here's the deal that i want you to get you may not be a deacon you may not be an elder you may not be a sunday school teacher but in some area of your life you're leading someone Almost always. It may be your friend group at school. It may be the guy that you have lunch with who's just beginning to have faith. It may be your family that you sit down with at dinner. It may be who knows what your group is, but you're leading someone. If you're being obedient to God, you're teaching someone because what you've learned, you're supposed to be teaching to someone else so that they can teach it to someone else. You see the pattern. And so we would tell her, I said, everybody come up. And we laid hands on this lady. And people were like, is it supposed to be supposed to be? Are you supposed to do it with the left hand? Eyes open. We knew. We, nobody knew. And you know what? It didn't matter. She said, I'm sick. Y'all pray for me. We did it. She went back to the doctor the next week and had another MRI, and the thing was gone. It was gone. Did we do it? No. But God did. And so I'm just, I'm just ignorant enough, fresh out of not going to seminary, to believe that the book, means what it says and that the Holy Spirit of God can do what he wants and the Bible says in Ephesians that he gave us these things to equip us to do the work of the ministry and I want to tell you he didn't just give them to whoever will stand here in six months he gave them to you the church the spirit of God the same spirit that floated over the face of the waters in Genesis lives in you if you are a follower of Jesus. And you, you may not really understand the ramifications of that, but I understand sometimes Paul would write in the book and he says, I don't know if I was in heaven, if I was on earth, in the spirit, out of the spirit. I don't even know. Peter did the same thing. We talked about that when he broke out of the prison. I don't know if it was real. If I was, I just don't even know. I just know that I was bound up yesterday. Now I'm not. And I want to encourage you to be in prayer. And I'm going to challenge you if you're if you're brave enough to ask the Holy Spirit of God to show you Himself in ways He's never shown you before. I told you I was going to tell one more story. I'm going to leave you with one more. When I worked at that drug rehab, 
We had kids y'all's age. We had 12 to 24 was our, our deal. We had a young man come in one time. He was about 14, a self-proclaimed atheist. And he said, I'm believing God. And he had seen, I always carried my Bible to, to work, and, we, and I led a Bible study, and he was asking me one night, he said, he told me about his story. And I'm going to tell you his story was awful. And if I was him, I wouldn't have believed in God either. And he said, I want to believe in something, but I don't know how. And I told him, I said, I'll tell you what you do. You give me seven days. And I don't know where seven days came from except that the Holy Spirit told me to say it. And I said, you give me seven days. I said, and every morning before I come to work and before you go to breakfast, we'll both pray. And he says, but I don't believe in God. How am I supposed to pray? And I said, I'll tell you what, you just pray and pray to the God that Matt believes in. That's all I want you to do. You don't have to believe it. I said, you just do that because I believe he'll hear you. And I said, here's what I want your prayer to be. Say, God that Matt believes in, show me who you are. That's all I want you to say. And then for the next seven days, we did that. And I would get up before I went to work in the morning, and I'm pleading with the Lord. You've got to do something. <laughs> I'm out on a limb here, bro. I mean, I'm walking in faith. And I had him keep a journal. And I said, if you see something weird, he goes, what am I looking for? I said, I don't, if you see something weird, just write it down. If you think it's God, write it down. First day, Zippo. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this kid's going to be an atheist the rest of his life. I'm not in the ministry. God didn't call me. Second day, he wrote something silly like saw a grasshopper. And that was it. That was all I got. I mean, I was like something really silly like a bug or something. And I'm like, Lord. So I'm, I'm literally, I kid you not, the Lord's my witness. I'm in my prayer time going, this is not going well, Father. This kid not only is he not going to believe if you don't show himself, but I'm going to look like... Now, here was the problem. I was worried about how I was going to look. I wanted to say I was worried about how he was going to look, but God was never worried about how he was going to look. Okay? And so, I remember about day four or five, he comes to me, and he was excited. And I'm like, what'd you get? And he goes, I saw the clouds come by today, and I couldn't figure out how clouds are moving. Might be God. Okay, I'm like, if we're getting somewhere, getting some traction. Sounds like something you might see in the Bible. And every day there would be some little something like that. And he would put it on there in his journal. Might be God, could be God. I went home for the weekend and came back. came back on Monday morning. And I kept praying. And I'm praying, Lord, you got to do something. And I came and I'm, he met me at the front gate Monday morning. Tears streaming down his face and he just stuck his journal in my hand and what I didn't tell you was is he hadn't seen his mother in years she hated him didn't want to have anything to do with him said I don't love you get out of my life I don't want to see you again and on his journal it said mom showed up for family day has to be God and we knelt down by his bed that night, and he received Jesus as his Savior. And he began to come to Bible study. And it has nothing to do with Matt Parker. Because Matt Parker was looking like a fool till about day seven. But what God knew was that there was a heart that was fully devoted to him. And I didn't have to say all the right words. 
but he wanted to give strong support. And more than that, more than he wanted to support me and what I was trying to do, he wanted to save that kid because he loved him. And so my encouragement to you is this. Don't be afraid to ask God like that boy did. Show yourself to me. Because if you diligently seek him, he will show himself to you. Now, you better hang on because when he shows himself to you, you might not be prepared for it. But I'll tell you, it is in that moment that you'll find the sweetest, most wonderful presence. And I don't mean that everything is all going to work out. You're going to get the new job and the new raise. As a matter of fact, it might all go south on you. I'm not one of those guys that's like, if you'll just have enough faith to believe in God, everything's going to be okay. Uh-uh, that's a lie. Because it's messed up down here. And he likes to work in the mess up. But he'll be so close to you, you won't know what happened. So as you're in this season of picking and choosing, I want to encourage you. I have no idea who's doing the picking and the choosing. So I'm really saying this out of complete ignorance because ignorance is bliss. Look past the resume items. Look past the check boxes. Look past the circumcision of the Gentiles. Look past whatever example you want to do. And look to the heart of the man. Let the Holy Spirit of God speak to your heart. Because when the Spirit's working through somebody and the Spirit's working through you, that Spirit will bear witness with the Spirit and you'll just be like, how do you know? I just know. I just know. How did I know I was supposed to marry my I told my wife in third grade I was going to marry her. Kid you, true story. She didn't believe it for a long time. She was wrong. But I just knew. And I had no idea why I just knew. And as we started dating, I, I never, never had, I, I've never been on another date with any other lady ever, ever in my whole life except my wife. And I, I knew. How did I know? Because I think God told me she was the one. Didn't always work that way. Lord help us. It never hardly ever worked that way ever again in my whole life. But that time, I knew. I want to encourage you. If you haven't been in prayer, get there. If you're not communing with the Holy Spirit, you'll never hear what he has to say. Just get in the book and start with, where do I start reading? The front's good. The middle's good. The back end's pretty good, too. If you're really, if you just like, I don't know, start in Matthew chapter 5. Do what it says. It'll change your life. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 will wreck you. It'll wreck you. Get over into Acts and see how the Spirit moves with those guys. It'll wreck you. But then, those guys got flogged, beaten, stabbed, kicked, whatever, and they walked away rejoicing. I want that kind of presence from the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit wants to commune with you. And he wants to guide you into all truth. Seek him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. As we close out our service today, God, and as we sing another praise to you tonight, I pray that you would inhabit our praise. God, I pray that you would... Fill us, fill this place. Father, we see in your word that when your spirit showed up, you filled the place, the foundation shook, and the people couldn't stand to minister. Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit of God to fall on us in such a way as it did, Father, in the book that you gave us, that, Father, you would lead us into all truth, that you would lead the First Baptist Church of Fruitvale, Texas, into this next season, uh, not just looking for a person, but looking, Father, for a gift that is from you. 
And Father, we just pray that we would only be able to see, that the eyes would only be open to the gifts that come from you, and that you would have confirmation, Father, in everybody's heart, God, and that there would be a unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, God, to give testimony that is a fact of the Holy Spirit's calling and moving. Father, I pray for courage in this body to seek your face, God. I pray you would Holy Spirit uh, supernaturally empower them, God, to seek you, that they may find you, because you said when we seek you, we will find you. And God, I pray that, that and thank you that you're not very far from us. And we just pray, Lord, today that your spirit would lead this congregation into all truth. That you may be made manifest. That the name of Jesus may be lifted high and exalted. That the glory of God may be made something of. We want to make much of you, not of ourselves, Father. We thank you and we praise you for what you have done, what you do and will do. And I want to praise you for the shepherds that you put into this flock, God. They are leading well, shepherding well. And I pray you would bless them, God, with all of the windows of heaven open and encourage them in their souls to take the, 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 the role that you've given them, Father, and not be afraid of it, God, and just walk in it because you've already empowered them, you've already gifted them, and they're already doing it, Father. Just I pray you would encourage them right now even as we pray. We lift up and we sing to you. Inhabit that praise, God, we ask you. Please meet with this church, Father, and dwell in power and encourage the body of Christ here in Fruitvale. In Jesus' name, amen.